Welcome to the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, where high-achieving, goal-oriented rebel women come to learn how to live a vibrant and fulfilling life without requiring alcohol to get through it. No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Masenik. Let's dig in. Welcome to episode 135, Fear and My Wild Alaskan Adventure. Hello, hello, hello. How are y'all? I feel like it's been a couple weeks because it has. <laughs> I am back from my epic wild Alaska adventure trip and I'm going to tell you all about it today, but first just a couple little side notes. Um, I wanted to let you all know, since you love the podcast, for you loyal listeners, I've created a podcast study guide. So I took about 10 of the most impactful podcasts of the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, and I created a worksheet for them, and I put them in a really awesome little study guide. And you can get this study guide for free if you go to angelamasenic.com forward slash podcast study guide. And you just enter your email, and then I'll email it to you. And then you can print that thing off, download it, and then listen to the podcast episodes that I've put in there and then answer the questions that I normally ask you in the podcast. There's a little worksheet for each of those podcast episodes. And this just takes that work to the next level. This helps you apply in in your real life, in your real situations to what I'm teaching you in the podcast. So if you aren't working with me in my Stop Over Drinking and Start Living six-month coaching program and you want to di- d- dive a little bit deeper, this podcast study guide is a really, really good place to start. So it's step-by-step. It's all written out and outlined there for you. Um, And when you can apply what I'm teaching you and like actually use the tools that I'm teaching and write it out and see what's going on and do that work, it just takes this stuff to the next level. Instead of just absorbing all of the information and learning you, when you actually use the tools and apply it, that's when you can see some real shifts and changes. So highly recommend that you guys go there and download that guide. Again, it's angelamasenic.com forward slash podcast study guide. And if you click through through the podcast, there's a link in here that will take you to that page as well. All right. So this week I'm in Seattle. And like I mentioned, I just came back from a seven-day trip to Alaska with my good friends, Josh and Dan. And Josh and Dan are my adventure buddies. (laughs) They're usually up for just about anything. Uh, My husband, Pete, is more of a culture um, explorer. So he likes bigger cities or, you know, going to visit places he hasn't visited before and like eating the food and seeing the people. I like that too, but I also really like to physically challenge myself on vacation. So I like um, hiking and you know, pushing my physical limits. I like nature a lot. So I was exploring how I could get that in this year with, with, within the confines of the pandemic and, um, where I can get to like the coolest mountains and Alaska came to the top of the list. So I asked them if they wanted to come and they said yes. And that's what we did. So today I want to share all the things I did on my trip because so many of you have asked. (laughs) And I'm going to link up all the things. I'm going to link up 
the lodge that we stayed at, the outfitters that we used to go on the adventures, the national park, all that stuff is going to be linked up in the show notes. So, you know, you don't have to worry about writing things down. You just have to click through. Okay. So this is also going to be a big story. So I'm going to weave in what we did and how I navigated some fear and teach you about fear and having your own back on the decisions you make, even when those decisions come from being scared. Okay. Fear is a good thing. Sometimes it can direct you properly. And I want you to be able to trust yourself when you do make decisions based from fear. All right. So (laughs) this is the story. Okay. So I flew from North Carolina to Anchorage and then Josh and Dan were already in Anchorage. So as soon as I flew into Anchorage, they picked me up at the airport. And because we were going basically into the outback or (laughs) you know, very rural mountainous areas with wildlife, it's recommended that you have bear spray and things. (laughs) So we go to, I don't know if it was REI, maybe it was Bass Pro Shops in Anchorage. And we're like, hey, we're here to get some bear spray. And they're like, oh, Anchorage is sold out of bear spray. We're like, what? They're like, yeah, everybody is getting bear spray. (laughs) So we don't have any. They actually referred us to another store that was like 30 miles away. And so we called ahead to that store and um, ended up stocking up on some things like whistles and bells and flares. (laughs) So like we were very, oh, and Josh bought a knife. So, you know, we're very much not from Alaska. (laughs) So if you could imagine, you know, three very urban people coming in not really have explored the Alaska wilderness before asking for these things and how funny that is. And then the three of us together comically, like it's a show. Okay. So we get some things at the store that we went to and then we drove like 30 miles up to, I think it was called Copper River. I can't remember what the town was called. And I posted some pictures of this on my personal Facebook page, but it was like, it's basically a gun shop in Alaska. And I am very familiar with these kind of settings because I grew up in rural Indiana. My dad was a hunter and like I'm used to seeing, you know, mountings on the wall like um, taxidermy. okay, and guns and all the things. (laughs) But for them going into the shop, they were probably just a little bit nervous to say the least. So we walk in and we're like, hey, we're here for the bear spray. And the owners of the shop had a really good time with us. And uh, they're like, you know, if it was us, we would just take a gun. (laughs) And we're like, well, Josh was like, well, don't you need a permit for that? He's like, we're in Alaska. You just need a driver's license. We're like, wow. Anyway, so we got the bear spray. We got the whistles. We got, I think, I don't remember exactly where we bought each thing, but got a couple more things. Oh, we got a, um, it was like an air horn. So we each got our own canister of bear spray and air horn. We got out of there. It was hilarious. So that night we spent in Anchorage. And then we set out to do a eight-mile or eight-hour drive out to the Wrangell St. Elias National Park. So it's eight hours east of Anchorage. So it's almost to the Canadian borders. The St. Um, Elias National Park is the largest national park in the U.S., It's bigger than Denali, and it's all very rural. There's one little area in which we stayed in that's located inside the park called McCarthy and Kennecott. They're two very small mining towns. So 
And the reason I found out about this area was my, my coach friend, Anna Verzoni, who I'll talk about here in a minute, but she recommended that if you only have, you know, five full days to spend it in Alaska and you want to do adventure stuff, this is a place to go. And she lives here, not in this area that we went to, but she's been to this area many summers and she's very familiar with it. So she's like, I'll meet you there. Come here. And I was like, yep, let's do it. So we booked our um, lodge. We stayed at the Kennecott Lodge in Kennecott, um, which is inside the Saint, the Wrangell St. Elias National Park. Okay. So we got there the, you know, late afternoon or something. So basically you have to drive into McCarthy and you leave your car in a parking lot. Um, and then you walk across a footbridge that crosses a big river. And then the lodge has um, transportation, so they, they get alerted that you're there, and then they come pick you up in their van, and then you drive five miles down a dirt road to get to the lodge. There's no, like, outside traffic allowed. Um, it's very, very rural. So before we got to that footbridge, we had driven down a 50-mile gravel road, and it took about two and a half hours down this gravel road because it's slow, and a lot of times you had to pull over and let cars pass, and cross rivers and things like that. So it was quite the adventure to get out there. We saw a moose on the way and a baby moose. It was really cute. We passed glaciers on the way. There's gorgeous views. We pulled off many, many times. It took tons of pictures. It was really, really pretty. It was, it was well worth the adventure to get out there, that drive. It just kind of like eased you into what you're about to experience. Um, so anyway, we get to Kennecott after we get, you know, to the footbridge and on the shuttle. And the history of Kennecott basically is at the very beginning of uh, 1900, so I think like 19, early 1900s, like 1901 to like 1938, about 40 years, they did a copper ore mining there. So they discovered copper ore, they created this huge mine, and they just basically stripped this whole area of these, you know, precious materials. Um, and then at the end, when they, they depleted it all, um, the company that ran that organization and that mine gave everybody 24 hours to pack up and leave and saying this was, they had a train and everything. They said, this is the last train ride out of here. And as you, as I explained, it's very, very rural. Um, and winters are very, very harsh and most people don't live there, um, during the winter. So they left all of the equipment and the materials and barrels, everything was just left behind here. So now there's a big preservation and restoring project going on. So it's now um, like a national protected area. It's inside the park. So you have, you can't take anything out. So they're rebuilding and restoring. Um, you can actually take a tour of the mine. It's 14 stories tall on the side of a mountain. Um, highly recommend that you guys click through the links and look at all this. So I have this all linked up um, in the show notes. Okay. But we got there, we explored, we settled in. Um, just to give you a little bit of like the resources available to us, there's no hospitals, there was no um, grocery stores, no gas stations, there's no cars. <laughs> um, we had the lodge that we stayed in. They had um, a couple outfitters that would take you out on adventures. They had a food truck and then they had a little coffee cart um, and a little gift shop. And then they had the tours that you could take on the mine and things. And that was it. So we got the meal, we got a partial meal plan at the lodge where breakfast was included every day. And then you could also get lunch and dinner. Like you could just let them know the day of if you wanted to eat breakfast or dinner, or you could eat at the food truck. 
the other cool part about it is that they had transportation back to McCarthy. So um, going back to McCarthy was where we came in at, at after the footbridge. That's a little bit bigger of a town. There's a bar and I think two restaurants and a little store. And that's it. And then some outfitters and things. But um, to get to McCarthy, the last shuttle, you know, they had shuttles throughout the day. But then if you wanted to come back to Kennecott, you had to be on the shuttle by 6.30 p.m. So when we're out adventuring during the day and stuff, it just didn't really make sense to go to McCarthy. So, um, you know, once we got done with our adventures, we were done for the day. Like we had to just eat dinner and that was pretty much it. So, um, anyway, that's the history of that. And I'll probably touch base, touch on it a little bit more. The next day we decided to do a trail up the side of the mountain that was one of the mines that was a part of this copper ore mine. So it's called the Bonanza Mine Trail. And it's about a 10 mile round trip trail that went right up the side of the mountain. And then there's like another site where they would extract these things from the mountains and then, then run it down on cables and cars and things like that. So we hiked up that trail and um, it's at elevation. I think it went up to like 7,000 feet. I can't remember. But it was very steep, and we were very scared of the bears. <laughs> so we wore our pepper spray and our whistles, and Dan had a bell attached to his backpack, and, like, we had our air horn ready to go. There are some really, really funny pictures. But um, anyway, we hiked up. It was beautiful. The bugs were insane. So lots of bug spray. And, like, it just kept you keeping moving because the moment you stopped, you are just swarmed um, by mosquitoes and bugs and stuff. But it was worth it. It was absolutely beautiful. So... We get up pretty far, probably about four and a half miles, and we get to this very precarious section of the trail. It's very rocky, and there was no, like, it was just like like a cliff that kind of, like, went straight down. It was all rocks, and there was no edge. So it was just like, a very, like you'd have to walk single file, one foot in front of the other, one person at a time. And it was soft, so, like, you could just, like, misstep and just kind of crumble down the side of the mountain and then on the other side too there just wasn't anything to hold on to there's no trees at this section of the of the trail at all it was a pretty short section but I got there and I was like well and I have a pretty strong fear of heights and I'm like Ooh. you know and so like I noticed the fear coming in okay so remember this is part of the podcast the fear so I stopped I assessed and we didn't have any ropes or anything to hold on to and so we had to cross this little section to get to the very end. And I could see that the end was probably like another mile to the very top. It was all at this point very open. So we could see the, the rest of the trail. Um, I tried going. And then like what happens with me and heights is that I just, my body just kind of starts shrinking down to the ground. <laughs> and I want to be on like all fours or lay down on my stomach just to kind of feel like all points of my body are attached to the ground. So I just noticed I was like shrinking, shrinking, shrinking and like got on my hands and knees and just kind of like crawled up to the side. I'm like, I, I'm not doing this. And so, um, but I wanted to, that's the thing. Like I wanted to do it, but like the fear just overtook me. So I stopped there. I breathed, I paused, I worked through it. And I really took some time to assess the situation. Um, I could see the end. So I didn't feel like I was going to be missing out on views or anything like that. Um, and then my friend Dan offered to, that I could hold on to him, like hold on to his backpack or something as we walked across this rocky edge. And so I tried that. I tried holding on to Dan and like kind of leaning the opposite direction and going really slow. 
And then again, I just started sinking and shrinking my body towards the ground in fear. And I didn't feel safe. Um, And then I thought, you know, this is going to cause me to be less like safe, right? Like my fear right now is too high for me to make good decisions, right? Because I physically couldn't walk with intention and purpose and at the pace that would make sense to be super safe, right? So um, I just decided that I wasn't going to go. I didn't feel safe and I just felt like I couldn't work through it. And it really wasn't worth it to me because again, like to get here, we had to drive down a 50 mile gravel road. There's no medical care at all. There's no cell cell service for me. And we're already four and a half miles up on this hike. I decided to not pass it. And I actually felt really good about that decision. Dan actually went on and Josh stayed back with me. And so we just kind of hung out and waited for Dan to return. We started walking back the trail a little bit and then Dan came back And then he shared where his mind went. He decided to turn back for the same reasons. No medical care, no access. He was alone. If something happened, that would be it. And it really just wasn't worth it because we had come pretty far on this trail. So in this example, I felt scared, but now I'm choosing. And even in that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm glad I made that decision. I'm choosing to believe I made the best decision for me at that time. And if I didn't feel fear, I probably would have been fine going on, but I did And I trusted myself knowing that I was scared and that I could make mistakes and not be as safe as I could be. Okay. And sometimes, you know, I've regretted some of these decisions I've made in the past about my fear, but this was definitely not one of them. You know, sometimes like if I'm hiking in the mountains and there's a big bridge that connects one mountaintop to the next, and I have to walk over this footbridge that's like, you can see a mile down or something. And I'm like, I'm just not doing that. (laughs) Sometimes I think about, you know, I probably could have done that. There was a bridge, there's people there, you know what I mean? Like there's lots of things and resources that it probably would have been okay. But this was not one of those times, my friends, I felt good about my decision to do it. And then hearing what Dan played through his head when he got back, I was like, yep, I'm good. Like, I didn't feel like I missed out on anything. We got really good elevation with the hike, the, the views, all of, I felt adequately challenged. Okay. So the rest of the story is that that night, so that's just one part of the fear. I'm going to come back to a different aspect of fear later on in the podcast. So that night, we actually hooked up with Anna Verzoni, who is my coach friend that told us about Kennecott and McCarthy and this whole park and all the things. And Anna is a coach, and she also has a really cool podcast called The Rebel Buddhist. You guys should check that out. That's linked up in the show notes as well. But we met online in a business program. Her and I got certified together as coaches at the same time, but we never met in person. And then we just so happened to join this business program and, um, you know, had a connection. And I told her my desire to come to Alaska. And she's like, if you only have this much time, come. So I had never met her in person. And she met us at the food truck that night for dinner with her family. And it was just amazing. It was so, so cool. So that was day one. We did the big hike. We met Anna for dinner at the food truck. It was really nice. Dan and I and Josh all shared a room (laughs) in the lodge and we didn't have our own bathroom. So we had to, there were shared bathrooms in the lodge. So they were private bathrooms, but we had to share them with other lodge guests and, you know, navigating that. They also did not have coffee in the morning. (laughs) 
<laughs> till seven o'clock. And if you guys know me and been listening for a while, you know how early I wake up. And so we had to buy, we had to like navigate this whole coffee situation. And it wasn't just for me. Josh also drinks coffee early in the morning. So we're like, what do we do? We wake up so early. We wake up at like five or five thirty in the morning. They're like, this is what you do. You go get coffee from the coffee cart before they close at five thirty, and then you just drink at room temperature, or just black or whatever in the morning. Or you can get coffee to go from the lodge restaurant and take it to your room and just drink it at room temperature. So that's what we did. So we had to make sure we got to the coffee cart by 5.30 to get like a large coffee to put it in our room. And then we, in our room, we had a little cooler with our cream and stuff. So we got our system with the coffee down. If everybody was wondering about that, there was no microwave and nothing was available. There were like no resources like that to like heat water up and make a hot cup of coffee. So I adapted. (laughs) Anyway, so the next day, what did we do? The next day we booked um, a glacier hike. Okay. And that was, I was really excited about that. Um, And I just wanted to note too, like when I, I always want to do these big wild adventures. And then sometimes when it comes down to it and it's time to take action, my brain likes to go into fear mode. I know this about myself and I'm willing to just to go forward anyway. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more in the podcast. You might notice the same pattern, especially when it comes to working on drinking less or taking a break. And this is just an example of that. So I hear from many of you who listen to the podcast and then you're interested in joining my program and you resonate with me and believe I can help you. And you even go through the process of filling out an application and booking a call with me. And then your brain might start to flip out. You feel scared you can't do it, scared you will fail, scared that you said that you'll do something before and you haven't followed through. Then you psych yourselves up so much and you say, never mind, I'm not doing it. And then you back up and you go back into the cave where it's safe, right? What I, the big point to this podcast and me sharing this story and talking about fear is I want you to realize that it's 100% normal to feel scared when you're about to do something that you haven't done before. This is normal. Okay. Sometimes it's rational feel like fear, like a real life or death situation. And sometimes it's not really rational. Most of the time it's not really rational. Your brain is just giving you objections because it thinks the path to whatever you're going to do is going to be hard. And remember how your brain is motivated. It's motivated to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and save energy. Okay? So if you think about joining a stopover drinking program and you feel scared about it, it's normal. And this is when you should do it anyway. (laughs) Right? That is sort of like, yep, we're going into a a situation where we haven't been before. We're learning something new. And your brain is going to be, you know, promoting or uh, producing fear. And that's okay. And you should move forward with that for sure. Okay? So just like continuing with my hike in that situation, the one that I just shared with you, um, I felt scared, but I actually assessed the situation and I felt like I was in danger and I feel like I made the right decision there and I had my own back on that. So the next day, I going back to my glacier hike, I, you know, we had to hike two miles, on a, you know, pretty challenging mountain trail to the glacier. So we stayed at um, the Kennecott Lodge, was at the base of something called the Root Glacier, which is in the um, Wrangler St. Elias National Park. It's a huge glacier, miles and miles, um, that you can act like anybody can just go out there and explore it. It's pretty cool. But we hired um, 
the guides to do that for us. It was a full day glacier hike excursion. And that was with the St. Elias Alpine Guides. They were amazing. We used them on all the adventures that we did. Highly recommend if you go there to check them out. I also linked them up in the show notes. But anyway, we booked a full day glacier hike. And when we were, and we didn't book this until we got there. So we only had booked one excursion before we got there. Um, So the day we booked this, I was like, I don't know if I want to be on a glacier all day. That sounds uncomfortable. (laughs) My brain, again, telling me that it, you know, it may not be super comfortable and I might be in some pain. And I'm just like, talk to some people about it. They're like, you want to be out there on a full day because it's a while to get out there and buy, you get your equipment set up and all that stuff. So we booked the full day. And so we hiked two miles out there and then we put crampons on our boots. Okay. And so metal crampons are, they're just like, a, you, you would think exactly what they are. It's something that you could hike on ice with. Okay. Or climb with. Um, metal spikes at the bottom of your shoes and so that you can navigate icy slippery surfaces okay so we get there and we have our our guide which I like to call them a coach because it's basically what they are they're coaching you through things teaching you new things guiding you right so I get these crampons on I'm like oh yeah no problem we hike up and the glacier is very rocky and it's like it's like frozen waves. So if you think about like frozen water, or frozen ocean, and how there's waves and ripples, that's how it was on top of this glacier. It was sharp and icy and wet and not even or flat anywhere. So we're hiking up a hill on this glacier, and the up part was not a problem for me. You know, I wasn't scared. But then we got to the top, and then we had to hike down the back of it. Okay, so like base, almost not straight down, but pretty deep. Right. So like if I just had my regular shoes on, I would fall flat on my face because it was so steep and icy and slick. Right. But we had the crampons on and you just kind of step in. You 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 walk one foot in front of the other forward. You don't walk sideways. You actually have to walk pretty much straight down and you have to trust that the crampon will hold you. And so my brain in that moment was like, oh, fuck, you know, like this is scary. This doesn't make sense. I have to trust myself. Like I had never done this before. Right. So again, this fear came up and, um, I'm just like, and I, and I just immediately spoke up, told the guy, I'm like, I'm scared. I don't trust this. This doesn't make sense to me. You know, I just basically shared my fears and she then she's like, look right there, put one foot in front of the other and go. And like, and she gave me more instruction that, and I just trusted her and I'm like, I am not turning back. Everybody else is doing this. There is no immediate danger. Like I really, I really did like actually look at the facts and like, I'm like, you know, everybody else has done it. I'm the last one. I can do this and I'm not turning back. And I just kind of committed to it and then followed the instruction. It did exactly what she said and I did it. And I was like, oh man, you know, like I did that. That was really cool. That was like me on my edge of like being really uncomfortable and like noticing the fear and deciding that, you know. I was scared. Yes. It's just because I haven't done it before and that my brain really couldn't reconcile that I was going to walk straight down an icy cliff basically and use this thing that was attached to my foot. Okay. So that was great. Like the rest of the day was amazing. Um, I, I got more comfortable with the crampons. We saw these glacier pools and Dan actually ended up doing an ice plunge in one of them. He jumped into this pool on the glacier and jumped out and our guy did it and another person in our little group did it as well. Um, I did not because I am not willing to be that uncomfortable. 
I had no desire to do that. But anyway, so that day, like ending that day, we were out there for like six hours. Um, we were gone for nine, you know, and then we had to hike two and a half miles back. That day was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Like I felt like I pushed my limits. I went to my edge of like pushing myself and it learned something new and explored and had a great time. But again, <laughs> if I had listened to that somewhat irrational fear, I would have missed out on the joy and the pleasure that I did right? So I moved through the fear. I went to the edge of where my current comfort level was, right? It was like my wall. And then I just tipped the scales a bit. And now I have a new edge. Now my, like my fear tolerance is bigger. Okay. That is growth. That is putting myself in uncomfortable situations and challenging myself to move past my current comfort level. And when y'all are learning to stop over drinking, this is what you have to be willing to do. And it's, this is what makes life interesting. To me, this feels like living, living and going further and having new experiences. And if I didn't know how to feel my feelings and understand them, I would have not gone this far. The glacier hike would have never happened. The Alaska trip would have never happened. Meeting my coach friend never would have happened. The idea that I could go on a wild physical adventure in the wilderness never would have even been considered. And the reason I was in, even in Alaska was because I learned how to notice my fears and mostly move through them. I get scared a lot and I have accepted that this is a part of being human. And most of the time, my life is not in danger. So I learned how to move past the fear and do things anyway. And it all started with deciding to take a break from drinking. I really need you all to hear me. This was my first edge. This was my first time pushing my comfort limits and moving past the fear, past the unknown, past the worry about failing and choosing to do something that stretched myself. And then once I did that and got success and moved through that, it just catapulted from there and built from there. Then I took on bigger challenges like investing in coach training and showing up at coach training, learning how to coach in front of hundreds of people and not getting it right, right? And then starting my business and putting myself out there and feeling scared of embarrassing myself or failing and moving through that fear, right? And now I booked a trip to Alaska and I felt fear of dying and navigated through that. And now my edge is bigger and it will keep building from here. If we stay stuck and let fear dictate what we do all the time, we will never have growth, new experiences, or get to see what is truly possible with our lives. I don't even feel like I know what is truly possible yet because I am not done living and pushing myself to my edges, right? So back to the Alaska trip, to the next adventure. The next day we went whitewater rafting um, down the rivers that connected through the St. Elias National Forest, um, same guide outfitters, and that was not as much of a physical discomfort because we were riding in the, in the air, in the rafts down the river. Um, it was a little bit scary sometimes, but it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. And then at the end of that, um, we, a, a bush plane picked us up. <laughs> so like the raft, um, you know, it was like, it was probably like four hours on the water and we stopped for lunch and then it was beautiful. Um, we tried to see wildlife. We didn't see much. Um, but it was really, really nice to be, to see a different perspective at the park from the water, to look up at the mountains and the trees and see different landscapes and, um, flowers and that kind of stuff. 
Um, so we get to the end of the raft trip and the guides break down the boats and carry everything on shore. And then there's like this little teeny tiny airstrip where these bush planes come in and pick us up. And the bush planes are old. Like I think our plane that picked us up was built in 1942. And it was like, I think there was one, two, three, four people, four passengers could sit on it. So one up front is like the co-pilot seat and then three in the back and the pilot. So that's how big it was. I was not scared of that for some reason. And I, like, we talked about it later. I'm like, I wonder if just because I was in a container, like, <laughs> if I'm in a container that's closed off, I don't get scared of heights, but I wasn't scared of that at all. It was really cool. We got to fly up and above McCarthy and Kennecott, see the glacier from above, see the lodge, see the hiking and everything that we did, um, and the rivers and everything that we just had um, floated down. It was really, really cool. So that was that day. And then the next day, we decided to go ice climbing on the glacier. Now, Anna Verzoni, who is my coach friend, she coaches, she's like a wild adventure coach. She does retreats. She actually used to be a professional climber and a climbing guide. Um, and she said that she would go ice climbing with us. My friend Dan really wanted to go. And at the very beginning of the trip, I'm like, I'm not going ice climbing on the glacier. I'm like, you guys can go do that. And I'll just, you know, I'll go on a hike or hang out with Anna on the side, whatever. But then we started talking about it more after being out on that glacier. Um, you know, we all just decided, okay, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. And I told Anna, I'm like, if you come, I'll go as well. She's like, all right. So we all, the four of us went with the same guides and it was just the four of us and we had two guides on that trip and we did the same hike out to the glacier got the we had to wear boots like they're almost like ski boots but then you put the crampons on the ski boot type thing and it was much less hiking on the glacier we hiked a short amount of time to the first wall that we were going to scale and then it takes time for the guides to like you know like drill in the stakes and hook up and all the things so um so we did that and I hiked, I don't, I think it, maybe, maybe, I don't know how long, how high it was. Maybe it was 300 feet, but they hike up the top and then they drill in and then they drop the ropes down and then they rappel down. And then we, um, ice climb from the bottom up and then repel back down. That was really cool. I have never done, I've done indoor rock climbing before, but I've never done like outdoor climbing. That was really cool. For some reason I was not scared of that. Um, I wasn't scared of repelling down. Um, the ice climbing, for me, it wasn't that hard. Like you just, you have your crampons on your boots and you kind of stick your toes. Like you just kind of like jab your toes into the ice. And then you have these axes in each hand and you just kind of like Spider-Man up the wall and you're all tied in with ropes and everything. That was really cool. Like, and everybody was like, oh my God, were you scared? And Because like this wall was 100% vertical, straight up and down. And there's actually a little curvature that kind of like, was like kind of concave that went out. Um, and I got up pretty far and then like my legs, like my calves were burning. So I came back down and then everybody else went climbing. So backing up a little bit to the story about the glacier. So when we did the glacier hike the, the day, two days prior, we learned about all the different sort of crevices and pools and um, how the glacier shifts and change and moves from day to day, especially in the summertime. And we heard about this thing called a Mulan. Okay. 
and I may butcher these names a little bit because I'm no expert, but we heard about this thing called a Mulan. We saw a Mulan. Basically, it's like a, a hole in the glacier that's like a waterfall that goes into the glacier. So like a hole, and then it melts into a pool at the bottom. Usually it's very deep. And then it creates a tunnel underneath the glacier to drain. So they, when we were on the glacier hike with the guides, they weren't set up with ropes and things like that like we were for the ice climbing. So they told us, be careful. If you go into a Milan, you're done. We have no rescue here for this because you go under, you shoot out, like shoot underneath the glacier by, with water and you're just, you'll just drown. You know, so I'm like, ah, like the, even the idea of like, it makes my palms sweaty thinking about it now. Like the idea of getting close to the edge of a Mulan on this glacier was like, I need to lay down on the ice. <laughs> like I felt my body shrinking down, like flattening out. Right. So when we were going ice climbing, you know, we did that first wall and they're like, oh, what's the next location? I'm like, for sure. You're not going to take us on a Mulan. Like, nobody would do that, right? And they're like, we're going to a Milan. I'm like, what? And even Anna, she's like, what? We're going to a Milan? She's like, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to go climb into a Milan. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, my brain was already starting to freak out. And he's like, listen, he's like, the one of the guides was like, you know, even if you can't, you know, if you feel too scared to like climb down into it, at least let us hook you up and with, with the cords and lines and everything and so you can look into it so you can see what it looks like because it's really beautiful so we hike over to the Milan and I can see where it starts to like go in so like this you know this hole in the glacier and I immediately start feeling my body spread out (laughs) on like wanting to creep down and I sat down and I was just like palms are sweating I'm like I don't know if I can do this my brain starts freaking out all the things and they set up and hook into the ice and do all their safety precaution stuff. And then the guy comes over to talk to me about it. And he just really explains all the details and how safe it is and like how he's attached to the line and how I'm going to be attached to him. And then there's like a third safety precaution. So even if like he gets struck by lightning or passes out, there's a safety procedure that locks me in from not falling and I'm just attached. So And so, like, all this makes rational sense to me, right? Like, I understand that it's safe and that they're doing it and other people have done it and nobody's ever been injured before, blah, 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 blah. But I'm still really, really scared. So Dan goes first. He easily repels down into this Milan. He's like, oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going. I'm like, they're like, you are? I'm like, yeah, I'm going. And so they, you know, I had to hike over. It was really, really funny. So where I was sitting, there was, like, a crack in the glacier, And from my perspective where I was sitting, it was like I had to walk over this big, deep crack in the glacier that in my mind looked like it went down into the abyss. And I'm like, do I have to walk? I don't even know if I can step over this crack in the glacier. He's like, sure. Let me just show you how deep it is. So he walks over. First of all, he he was so amazing. He laid on the ground and like pretended to roll, like say he did fall to the ground and he had, he was rolling towards the Mulan. The glacier is so bumpy and rough that you just get kind of stuck. Like you don't, nobody just rolls and slips into the Mulan. (laughs) So anyway, he goes to this like crack and he stands in it and the thing is three inches deep. (laughs) But from my perspective, it looked like I was, you know, like had to jump across this big thing with this abyss. Anyway, we just died laughing with that. So I crossed that easily and then they hooked me up and then they like, I have pictures of this, but like basically 
they kind of had to like pull me to take a step, you know, like towards the edge of this Mulan. And the whole time, like even just talking about now my hands are sweating, my brain, I'm just very much focused on breathing and just acknowledging the fear um, and just listening to the guide and and trusting the process. And we decided that um, the word of the day was going to be trust. And everybody got on board with it. So everyone, he's like, remember the word of the day is just trust. I'm like, okay, I'm trusting this. I'm trusting this. This is part of my fear that it was rational for sure. Like I could definitely die, right? If I wasn't, if I were to attempt to do this myself, I wasn't tied in, didn't have these professionals. Of course I could slip and fall and die into this Mulan. But because of the safety precautions, because of the team, because of their experience and they do this every day really my, my, my risk of getting hurt and dying was very, very low. I mean, there's probably bigger risk driving a car, right? Getting into an accident or flying on a plane, right? So I knew this and I moved through it and I allowed the fear to be there and I just took deep breaths and I had to walk backwards. This was why I was really scared. It's like starting off at the bottom of the first ice climb, And going up, climbing up wasn't very hard, but I was now doing the reverse. So going down into the sinking (laughs) crevice of this Mulan um, was a totally different experience. Like reconciling that in my brain and where to put my feet and like trusting this rope and like they had to give a slack on it. And so then you didn't feel the pressure of the rope holding you in and you had to trust that you were still tied in. It was a lot for me to reconcile. And so breathing, processing all this, I got to the edge. I think I took one or two steps into the Mulan. And then I think I, I, I noticed that my body was starting to shut down and I could have like blacked out. And I was like, I think I'm done. I think this is it. This is definitely my edge. Like I have crossed, I've way crossed over my edge and now I'm, I'm good. Because at that point too, I felt like I wasn't going to make a good decision. Like I was too scared to, you know, to be safe. So he's like, just look over. If you can, just look back, look over your shoulder and just see the beauty down there. And so I did that for a second. I saw the bottom of it and the whole thing. It was, it was cool. It it would last about a second. I'm like, all right. And so then I climbed my way back up and that was it. So, um, anyway, that's the story. That was our final day. That was the fourth full day. And then we hiked back and I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I trusted them that I acknowledged my fear and that I pushed my edge to the limit. Now, if I, if I were to go back here, which is probably very unusual and unlikely, I feel like I would go further. I feel like I would trust the process. I would trust myself. I knew what I was doing. I knew what the experience was like and having time to reflect on that, I could go further. So it definitely expanded my comfort zone. Um, and all of this makes life interesting, y'all. When you push through your, not push through your fears. I don't want you guys to push through your fears. I want you to allow your fears and work through them, right? Um, Definitely don't do things that are super dangerous and you're not thinking things through. But when you do this, you have an interesting life. And when you have an interesting life and you have new experiences and you challenge yourself, you don't need alcohol to make your life interesting, okay? Like none of this ever I never thought about drinking one time, ever. Like, I'm way more interested in waking up early, going out, physically exhausting myself, mentally exhausting myself with this type of adventure stuff, and having an interesting life than I am to have a sip of alcohol. 
And when you do that, and when you push yourself and you make goals and you go after things that you haven't done before, your life becomes more interesting and you have more grit and you have more of an emotional tolerance to this stuff and you take bigger risks in your life and then you can go bigger with the things that you want to do. So again, all of this was not possible unless I had first started with my pushing my edge and my comfort zone to learn how to stop over drinking. None of this could have been possible without that first step. So I want you to really consider pushing your own limits, choosing discomfort on purpose, and joining me in my Stop Over Drinking and Start Living six-month coaching program. The link to get the details on that is in the show notes. Click through, get your applications in. I would love to have you. We have some fun. Let me push our limits. All right, my friends. We'll talk to you all soon. And remember, all the links, everything I referenced is in the show notes. Bye for now. Didn't we